0: words on water.
1: Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. To ensure the protection of wastewater workers during the coronavirus pandemic and beyond, the Water Environment Federation convened a blue ribbon panel of experts to evaluate information on biological hazards and safety precautions. This panel was put together a few months ago. And as our WEF president, Jackie Gerald said, The top priority of WEF is always to ensure the the safety and health of the frontline people in the water workforce who are out there protecting our communities not just during this pandemic but but every day and the work of this panel really keeps with the WEF tradition of educational and technical excellence and we want to make certain that our information on hazards and safety and the guidance of organizations such as CDC and OSHA and EPA are are based on the latest science and uh, latest evidence. So I'm very happy to be joined for this podcast by Dr. Art Umble. He was chair of that Blue Ribbon panel. He is also senior vice president of global wastewater treatment uh, at Stantec. And Art, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about the Blue Ribbon panel.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Travis. It's uh, always a pleasure to... Cover
1: this kind of information for the broader wastewater community. appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. So I, I just kind of explained why the blue bin panel was convened. Could you outline uh, what it was tasked with doing? Sure. So
0: you summarized it well in terms of what WEF's goals were for this and to establish a means of achieving those goals, this particular uh, BRP or Blue Ribbon Panel was convened, as you mentioned, back in April, and it was charged with three tasks to meet these goals that you outlined. The first of those was WEF's uh, Manual of Practice. Number one uh, is a document that is designed for wastewater operators and managers to give them information about public health and the safety of working around the environments associated with wastewater and so that document had actually been done back in the early teens maybe 2010 to 2012 timeframe and so it was uh, in need of updating and so this opportunity though a difficult one for us all with this COVID-19 challenge provided an opportunity for us to go into that document and update it and include information on this SARS-CoV-2 virus which creates the COVID-19 disease and update it for the purposes of worker safety. And there's a particular chapter in that manual, uh, chapter number eight, which we focused on, which was where it discusses biological hazards and so on. So that was the first charge was to update that information. Secondly, we felt it was important to review some of the current practices for guidelines and how do we approach what's the appropriate protocol for protecting workers who are in a wastewater environment and give them the assurance of safety. Uh, We wanted to make sure that uh, those current best practices that are well known out there already for other kinds of pathogens that we are aware of and have been um, engaged in protecting against for a long time wanted to understand what of those things need to be updated as a best practice guideline and then provide that information to other partners that WEF is engaged with and you mentioned them earlier you know like the centers for disease control osha uh, world health organization who also all have their guidelines but may or may not be specific to the wastewater environment so we wanted to make sure that that was consistent with what they were presenting and then thirdly to identify where the knowledge gaps are specifically related to SARS-CoV-2 and try and get an understanding with respect to the wastewater environment. What is it that we know that we don't know today? And Hmm. this is where the research is, is. greatly needed, right? And then provide some recommendations of what we felt that research could be most useful in uh, in the immediate time moving forward here uh, as other areas of biological science work on things like vaccines and methods and so on. So those were the three elements of charge, and that's what we spent uh, several months working intently on and um, produced the document that people can now have access to
1: fantastic so before we dive into the findings a bit could you take a moment to identify who was on this blue ribbon panel it was it's really a, an incredible group of, of leading experts in water and, and many facets of water and I'd, I'd like to just give them recognition and and let the audience know uh, who this group was absolutely um, they consisted of a number of experts
0: from academics. Uh, there was uh, a number of persons who represented the regulatory uh, f- portion of this in terms of regulatory environments around pathogens and so on. So those persons have been from the EPA, for example. Uh, we had representatives from some of our uh, federal agencies. You mentioned uh, Centers for Disease Control and so on who provided input from their perspective. We also had plant operations uh, key personnel who were on the front lines of this very issue every day in terms of helping their workers understand the scope of this virus and what it has meant and how to compare that with what we've learned in terms of dealing with things like this in the past and what do we need to do differently. We also had a number of folks who are professionals in the health and safety field that provide Uh, consultation services to utilities and to industries and so forth about health and safety issues uh, and particularly with respect to biological hazards and then there was several representing the engineering consulting community as well Um, that comes from a standpoint of you know how do we design systems so that we are appropriately protecting people and and creating spaces where uh, folks can feel safe to be able to carry out their activities in their daily work and then of course we were delighted to have a number of the WEF staff uh, as part of this panel as well, and to help us define the issues and to keep on scope for WEF so that we get the message right uh, for the membership of the WEF staff. All in all, there were 14 members on the on the uh, panel, and then I believe five members from the WEF staff.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. So, what what is the the summary of the findings? What kind of were the you know the basic outcomes of this of this work, and we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper into the guidelines and the research and so forth. But what what should people have as kind of the the headline uh, you know headline and the and the leading paragraph, if you will, of the of the story coming out of this?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and um, as with anything that is carries with it a lot of uncertainty, as does so uh, the COVID-19 disease today in terms of what we know about it, there's going to be a lot of questions, right? People are going to have many things in their mind about things that they would like to understand more. So what we tried to do with summarizing our findings was to come out with a series of bullet points essentially that can really hit exactly where many people's uh, concerns might be or their questions of uncertainty might be around. The first and foremost of those is that because of the type of virus that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is in terms of its physiology, it is not stable in a water environment. And it is specifically not stable at all in a wastewater environment because of the characteristics of a wastewater. And so that basically means that we would not expect it to act any differently than other viruses of a similar type in terms of physiology which we do know more about say for example MERS or SARS or um, these kinds of things where we've had experiences with in the past so that's the first takeaway I would say is that we would not expect it to act any differently now what do I mean by that well the second thing I would state is that we study that by looking at what are the main routes of transmission that a virus can take and these are things through respiratory droplets for example direct contact with surfaces where the viruses can become uh, located on and be transmitted in those ways what we have found and what we would like everyone to be sure that they know is that we have not found any evidence that there is a fecal oral transmission, creating the infection of this disease to date. That's a very key finding. The third finding I would say is that the risk of the transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that creates COVID-19 disease from fecal matter appears to be very low. And I use that term very low simply because the level of amount of studies that have been done to really answer that question, a number of those are still ongoing. But what we have learned from them to date is that that risk is very, very low. Fourthly, I would say that the standard elements of treatment that we currently understand and utilize in our treatment facilities today, being the uh, specifically around disinfection practices and these sorts of things, These are expected to be just as effective at inactivating SARS-CoV-2 as they have been on inactivating other well-known viruses that we have had much research and understanding of over the long term. And so, therefore, we would not expect that these systems would act any differently or less effectively than they have on these other viruses, just simply because these viruses are very similar in their physiological nature. I would also then say that our uh, takeaway from a standpoint of best practices is we want to protect the health of our workers who could be exposed to wastewater activities, which they are every day, and that they should take the following precautions regardless. And that is, number one, we want to continue to promote the engineering and administrative controls necessary to formulate a safe working environment for all of our wastewater workers and persons who are associated with contact in a potential wastewater environment through its activity. Secondly, we want to make sure that the practices of those activities, whether it's jetting a sewer line, whether it's pulling a sample out of the effluent, whether it's cleaning in in a headworks facility, we want to make sure that the practices of those activities are safe and we want to provide opportunities for people to take on the necessary protocols to ensure that safety. And then thirdly, that relates then, of course, to what is appropriate uh, protective equipment. Normally, Mm. um, this is required for any particular task associated with the wastewater activity. And we are just simply saying we do not see at this point any need for there to be, or I should say, any indication that there is a evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 virus poses an even greater hazard than the viruses and other pathogenic agents that we have in wastewater that could be a requirement for additional PPE over and above what we already understand and utilize today, assuming we utilize it appropriately. That said, however, we would point out that because there are things that are still unknown in the SARS-CoV-2 world, and that specifically has to do primarily with the uncertainties with aerosols. In other words, how transmittable is this potential disease? as a result of aerosol mists, think of it as a mist right that uh, can happen through splashing or can happen through uh, humidity changes in an environment so forth where these things become aerosols and move about we have no evidence yet that there is an infectious transmittable route via aerosols but I would say because there are ongoing studies currently uh, that are trying to answer this question, we would recommend that you take precautions against exposure to aerosols that could potentially be there by the necessary PPE that you have available to you, and we find that those are adequate to date. I am not recommending, and our panel is not recommending that everyone use an N95 respirator, for example. We are saying, however, as a utility or as an entity that's engaged in wastewater activities, if you determine to, that it's appropriate to keep your people safe using an N95, then of course you should have the uh, prerogative to do so. But we are not
1: necessarily saying at all that the N95
0: is a requirement.
1: Got it. Uh, that's a that's a great, uh, important overview of, of what the information you all have, have kind of concluded or settled on. Um, I, I know that part of the report that's coming out of the Blue Ribbon panel is a bit of a, a set of guidelines. And you, you may have touched on kind of some of that in, in what you just talked about. But could you expand a little bit about the, the guidelines that you have provided in this report and maybe some of the specifics in there? Indeed. And As a preface to
0: that answer, Travis, maybe I would also say this that could uh, would be a good clarification for what these guidelines might represent, and that is to date. We, as I mentioned, we have no evidence that the survivability or the viability of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in the wastewater environment creates an opportunity to be infectious if exposed to it. We have been able to trace its presence, meaning we have found, indeed, SARS-CoV-2 RNA fragments are present, so therefore we know that that virus was active at some place in that sewer shed, but it's currently not in an infectious form. That is a very important um, guidepost, if you will, to how guidelines should be put together. And so the first and foremost guideline, I think that comes out of this study uh, and review that I believe is very, very important and very practical and uh, should be enacted. And that is the use of what's called a job safety analysis. And in some uh, environments or some industries, it's also called a job hazard analysis. We believe that this is a absolute necessity and it should be such for all utilities or anyone who works within an environment where potential exposure to wastewaters of any type uh, are going to be present. And what is the JSA or the JHA? This basically defines the activity that the worker is going to be engaged in, in detail, whether it's out jetting the sewer, whether it's taking a sample, or whether it's working in a laboratory, whatever the activity is, it defines that clearly. And then it provides a series of either required or strongly suggested or recommended protocols for the use of the appropriate PPE that would be best for those activities and those conditions. This includes not just the PPE itself, but also a definition or a clarification of what should be done prior to the activity, what is to be done during the activity, and what is to be done post the activity to ensure that the worker safety is protected throughout the entire scope of that activity. And that includes, for example, if I am out jetting a sewer and I get splashing on my uniform, it's possible that I could also then contaminate the truck or the vehicle that I use to transport myself to that activity. And I could take that back to the office or back to the maintenance um. Uh, locker room inadvertently, unknowingly, what do I do with those post activities so that I am still protective of myself and others around me? So the JHA or the JSA is a very, very important uh, documentation kind of method or measure of a best practice for anyone associated with any activity where you're going to receive potential exposure to the wastewater. That's one guideline that's important. The second guideline is in the specific uses of the PPE themselves in terms of the appropriate types of PPE that are appropriate for such and such an activity and what are the protocols for outfitting yourself for that particular use of the PPE so you get its maximum benefit. I say that because, for example, if someone chooses that an N95 respirator type mask is the appropriate protocol that they will enact under this particular activity, it needs to be understood carefully that the protocol of fitting that mask over one's face whether that person has facial hair, whether they don't, whether there's a proper fitting around the uh, shape of the face. All these things are very, very important in terms of the effectiveness of that particular PPE, because if it's not done properly, it won't have the effectiveness that you would think it should have. And so we included those types of guidelines as well as strong suggestions for uh,
1: everyone associated with that incredible and vital information. Thank you for walking through that and I, I of course encourage everyone to look at the report itself for much more detail. And then I believe one thing you, you mentioned that the panel did was then look at the at WEF's manual of practice which is really just the industry standard for for wastewater treatment and and to make some updates there reflecting your findings. Could you briefly just touch on what you did to that to that manual? Indeed.
0: Um, As I mentioned earlier, the primary focus of that revision was for Chapter 8 in MOP1, which deals with biological hazards in a wastewater environment. And so in that chapter, you'll find there's a plethora of information around all pathogenic agents that we know of that are present in wastewater. There are other non-biological or what I would call abiotic uh, agents that could be in chemicals and so forth. Uh, that are present in wastewater also. That chapter then was updated to include information about what we know to date on SARS-CoV-2 and the potential for things like what are the routes of transmission that could occur. So, you know, whether it's an ingestion kind of transmission or whether it's an injection kind of transmission, etc. All those details are tabulated in that chapter 8 through uh, a series of updates to the tables primarily that are in that chapter. The second major update uh, for the COVID-19 information was applied to what is known as table 4.1 earlier in the manual and that's a very very extensive table uh, that has information on much of what we've just been discussing here, and we, of course, updated and inserted to supplement information in that table with the COVID information as well. And then finally, as I have been pointing out already, you know, we've made updates to the table with respect to PPE recommendations so that that's consistent with what's in the rest of that chapter with respect to here's what we have done in the past for these types of agents, and these are the things that we would continue to recommend doing or You can choose if you think that's not enough, you have the obvious opportunity
1: to enhance that. Sure. Uh, You mentioned also that uh, looking at research and research gaps and research needs. Could you talk about especially what the recommended uh, needs are for research around coronavirus and, and wastewater worker safety?
0: Sure. Well, as everyone probably knows, um, many researchers globally are engaged in this challenge to try and understand where the gaps are. And much of that research is being done on how to, on detection methods, for example. There's a lot of work being done around that. Secondly, there's a lot of work being done around surveillance. And so, well, I mentioned earlier about the fact that we can detect the presence of a virus in fragments, for example, but it's not in an infectious form. But that tells us something about what's going on in the sewer shed. There's a lot of work being done on that. The areas that are most... Uncertain, And areas that we have a great deal of work to do on involve the following. First and foremost is we know very, very little about the properties that a virus like SARS-CoV-2 has in partitioning between a solid and a liquid phase. And, of course, in wastewater, that's really, really critical because of the amount of particulate matter that is in wastewater. And how does that virus, can it remain infectious and to what degree of concentration does it create? so that it does have an infectious dose? We don't know these things. How does it partition to the solids? Does it get into biosolids? Is it viable once it's there, et cetera? These kinds of questions all need to be answered, and a lot of work is being done on that. It also has a great deal of influence on how we look at disinfection, for example. So if it partitions to a solid particle and it is viable then that particle can potentially shield that virus from inactivation through a disinfection process, be it chemical disinfection or ultraviolet radiation, so on, which many of us um, work with daily in terms of how we operate effective, compliant treatment facilities. So it has implications for that. Secondly, is we need much, much more information about how do we really determine the infectivity potential of a virus like this and specifically the SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater. And this has to do, again, with what is the concentration of this virus that it needs to get to in order for it to now become infectious? You know, is is, is it orders of magnitude more than what we can detect? Is it orders of magnitude less? We don't know. We need to find this out. And this will be very helpful, I believe. I think we all believe in terms of what does that mean for the other parts of our work and how we protect against those infections. And then thirdly, there's a great deal of need for data on the efficacy of our disinfection practices on specifically the SARS-CoV-2 there's just no data out there on that specific virus today and so we are already there's a number of studies going on with respect to chlorination there's studies going on with respect to uv but at this particular point in time there's no data to really tell us for sure how reliable and effective the efficacy of treatment or or inactivation if you will uh, is from those things so that brought me or I'll, i'll say that brings me to two other recommendations from a research perspective one is We would strongly recommend um, significant funds be put into epidemiological studies on this infectious disease incidence among wastewater workers. We need to look at not just this disease, COVID 19, but put it up against other diseases that we also know are potentially present in wastewater so that we can provide the best. Information on PPE protocol and activity protocol and the effectiveness of those protocols. Secondly, much, much work needs to be done as I intimated earlier about the respiratory exposure risks. We just do not see the evidence there yet, but we do not want to make any final conclusions to say ever that this is not going to be a route of transmission of infectivity and it much needs to be done on that. There are a number of experts out there today working on how do we study. Aerosols and how do aerosols move in the environment? How do aerosols become associated with our breathing, et cetera? And how do we come in contact with a virus that could be potentially in that aerosol? These are questions that are currently unknown and will be very informative to not just the healthcare community, but
1: of course to the wastewater workers and our utilities and so on. Fantastic. Well, Art, I greatly appreciate your overview of the findings of this Blue panel. And of course, we were all greatly appreciative of you serving as the chair of this panel uh, that did such critical work. Um, I know that we all have the safety and, and health of our workforce uh, always on the, the front burner, uh, especially during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, people can go to WEF.org or accesswater.org to find this blue panel report. Uh, it's it definitely, definitely something that everyone in the water sector needs to take a look at. But Art, thank you very much. Thank you, Travis, for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Words on water.